day. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Wally, a fresh view on gospel living. My name is Emily Ruth. Hi, I'm Wally Goddard. (laughs) So happy to be here with you again, Wally. Yeah, Emily. Good to talk to you. Yeah, so good to be back. Back in the back in the group. So we (laughs) just had a marriage retreat a couple weekends back. Wasn't that fun? It was so fun, and I wondered if we could talk about it. Yeah, maybe we could start with uh, talking about the refreshments. (laughs) (laughs) On the feedback forms, the refreshments were noted. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think think it's a way of showing respect to people, saying, um, hey, we we know you might be hungry, and we Mm -hmm. want you to have some options here. We're going to feed your soul and your body. (laughs) There you go. It was great. Yeah, it was really fun. It was fun, yes. You know, Emily, when we talk about marriage from an LDS perspective, I think we um, we we know that marriage is ordained of God. It says so in the scriptures and in, in the Doctrine and Covenants. Marriage is ordained of God. And sometimes I think we've misunderstood that to mean uh, marriage is kind of like the city of Zion where everything is wonderful and, wow, get married and your problems are over. Uh, do you think do you think that's a fair way to represent God's purposes in marriage? No. In fact, in some ways, I mean, I, maybe this sounds extreme, but I almost think it's dangerous to be thinking that way because it sets our expectations up for something that's not realistic. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, I agree. I, in fact, if what we do is ramp up people's expectations without helping them to have resources to function better in marriage, then we've done a disservice so marriage is ordained of God, but among God's purposes are uh, growth and uh, decentering, where we move away from it's all about me towards how do I really have the humility and the goodness of heart to work with another person? Don't you think those are some of the lessons of marriage? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the decentering, that word, I that that sticks out at me as important because I think so we grow up and we grow up, I grew up in a society and depending on where you are in the world, I guess, listening to this, but in Western culture, it's a pretty individualistic, um, you know, centering. And so this decentering piece of the, I'm not the only one here in the room, um, seems really important. Yes. Yes. Really. Um, if, if we realize that God's number one objective is to help us grow, then we might suspect he sustained marriage as he, he ordained marriage as part of that, that growth program, not just as a, a day at the amusement park, but rather as an experience in, in educating our souls and refining us towards, uh, well, towards being godly. Yeah. So at this retreat, you and I, well, I'll just say I was lucky enough to work with you on the content and, and, um, you brought a lot of really important points in that, in that vein. So I wondered if you could share with us a little bit about what you came up with, um, maybe give a little teaser. (laughs) You bet. You bet. Um, I know one of the popular American ways of thinking about marriage is that it's, this place where we want to maintain the romance and keep the romance alive. And, and so we have various programs, sometimes even at church where we say, let's, let's renew the romance. Let's keep it alive. And, and, you know, there's a, 
there's something to be said for having love and and closeness but but there's an interesting discovery from research that says that that romance that those feelings of uh, romantic attraction tend to go up very quickly early in a relationship they go up very high but they drop in like manner they they will not they do not they cannot sustain a relationship over time that that kind of uh that kind of wow this is so wonderful it's not a natural state and maybe not even a healthy state and trying to sustain and grow a relationship based on those feelings of romance is um it's just not going to work and it's a it's a contract with frustration probably yeah, I like what you said. It's it's not sustainable. <laughs> we can't stay. We can't live there forever, and we wouldn't get a lot done. We wouldn't be very. <laughs> we wouldn't. I don't think we'd learn a lot if we tried to stay in that in that state. Yeah, yeah. It it doesn't satisfy God's central purpose of helping us to grow. Mm-hmm. Now that same that same research shows that there is something that does sustain a relationship, and it actually grows over time, and that's companionship. That, that when we really enjoy the companionship, the friendship, the camaraderie in our marriage, when we really um, just enjoy being together, that that grows slowly, but continues to grow across time. And that is the very thing that can sustain a relationship. When we feel like friends, partners, colleagues, comrades, that that kind of relationship is much more likely to to be a solid foundation for the growth that comes with with marriage. Yeah, yeah. So, can you share with us um, in the very beginning of the retreat? You had a. I loved the idea of, of where we started, and I wondered if you could talk about um, our stories of love. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things we invited people to do at the beginning was to tell about their love and what attracted them to each other and kind of trace back through the the history. And And I, I think uh, it's always interesting to hear people's stories of love. I know in the case of, uh, of my relationship with Nancy, that uh, what was most remarkable to me is how easy it was to be with her. So easy, just like a best friendship, kind of like a sister only better. Well, you know, maybe some sisters are great (laughs) companions, but I wasn't an especially um, amiable brother. So, Um, but with, with Nancy, we could be together and talk and do normal things like bake cookies for the neighbor lady or, or whatever it was. And wow, that kind of thing is a solid foundation on which to build. Yeah, that that really struck me. Um, and I don't want to jump ahead, but as we heard the couples in the room, as we heard of their their stories, that that always seemed to be something that they highlighted was the the parts that that where they were friends, where they were companions, and how important that was and valuable um, to the connection in their relationship. And probably the more we experience friendship initially, the more the solid foundation on which we can build. Um, when the attraction is, you know, a sparkling personality or something else, 
Um, that by itself doesn't sustain a relationship. Now, it's a great resource in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not going to be the foundation on which to build a long-term relationship. Yeah. I don't know, Emily, if uh, you like Baumeister's quote as much as, as I do. But Yes, I do. Will you share it? <laughs> yeah. Roy Baumeister is a great social psychologist, and uh, he's observed that part of the challenge is that we today think in different ways from the way we have in the past. So let me quote him. He said, in the 20th, and we would add the 21st century, morality has become allied with self-interest. It's not simply that people have the right to do what is best for themselves, although that is an important part of it. Rather, it has become an almost sacred obligation to do so. The modern message is that what is right and good and valuable to do in life is to focus on yourself, to learn what is inside you, to express and cultivate these inner resources, to do what is best for yourself, and so forth. Once it was a virtue to place the best interests of others ahead of your own. Now, instead, there is an increasingly moral imperative to do the opposite. To live one's life properly and achieve the highest form of human fulfillment, it was once considered necessary to know about God, and we might say goodness as well. Mm -hmm. Now it is considered vital to know about yourself instead. So part of the story about love is that um, we today think about the ways it makes me happy and and if we don't think instead about the ways I can grow and that we together can do good things, then we may be thinking the wrong way about about marriage. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how like counterculture that is. How <laughs> how that's pretty much opposite. I mean, Baumeister says it, but how that's really opposite to to anything that we're hearing in in the media and and for those that are on social media, it's the message is pretty consistently you know, that it's about you, that it's about me, like individuals, and I'm really hearing that it's the relationship that um relationships are really what helps us gain that fulfillment. <clears throat> Yeah, and in the era of humanism, which has done wonderful things for our society, but has gone to such an extreme that today, um, instead of our heroes being those people who sacrifice for the community, I mean, take take Jesus as an example. Look what he gave. I mean, his whole life was devoted to um, helping people around him with the, the message, God's message. And um, today it's about social media and influencers, and I want to be like so-and-so, and wow, it's really about featuring ourselves. And I don't, I think if we're not wise, we may not realize how unusual our current way of thinking is and how distorted it is uh, because, because God's focus is on growth, not on self-celebration. Right. Can you talk to us about the different approach? So what, what, like, we know what we're getting out in, in the world, like what's kind of prevalent with the, the train of thought is that's kind of out there. So what, how do we approach it? What's different about the way that you're thinking of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if we find the friendship as a foundation, I know, um, uh, 
one of the discoveries of marriage research is that sometimes couples are sustained over time by their commitment to a common cause. That common cause may be raising a great family. It might be serving in some way, or it might be, um, I, I know that um, Blaine Fowers gives the example of a couple that was in some extreme marital dis- distress and ready to call it quits. And at some point uh, they came for a, for a counseling session with him and uh, they were suddenly surprisingly serene and compatible. And he, he asked them about that and he's, they said, well, we discovered that we really have a, a real love of, I think in their case, it was Native American art. Mm. And he said, we've decided to really celebrate it and study it and share with people about this shared love. And uh, wow, when we are energized by a common cause, instead of by our own self-interest, our own comfort, happiness, well-being, um, it, it can it can add some energy to our relationship. Now I'm not saying that sacrificing the self and being miserable every day is essential for a good relationship. I'm not saying that at all, but rather that caring about some things. uh, Let me, let me give you another example, Emily. Um, Nancy and I found that when we take personality tests, that we are almost polar opposites on every dimension. And, and uh, we have laughed about that because it means that there's a certain amount of friction about how we express our um, preferences. But what we've discovered also is that we share some common values, common values. We care about the same things. We may show up very differently, and that's required some adjustment on both our parts. But we care about the same things. Those shared values form a great foundation for relationship. Mm -hmm. Then the companionship is about expressing those values in whatever way works for each person. Does that make sense to you? It does. And I'm just, I'm appreciating you sharing that because I think many of us that know you and Nancy and love you both so much, and like we see that you're different, but it's kind of nice to hear like that you you really are very different and that you you do accommodate each other that 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 you know you could see that as a real um like it's a hassle to accommodate each other and it could really drive a wedge in in your relationship or it could have if you had chosen um to allow it to do that but instead i'm really hearing you like honor the differences and and honor the fact that you're both bringing different things to the table and, and that that work is so valuable to accommodate each other and to to allow your your strengths to both be, you know, there. Um, and then I'm also just thinking about how uh, – I'm trying to think of the last thing that you said. Now I've lost my train of thought. Anyway, that that really strikes me as, as important because it can look really easy from the outside of like, oh, they're just so, they just love each other so much. It's so easy for them. But to recognize that there is work that goes into when relationships are good, like that there's a lot of work that goes into that. Yes. Yes. A lot of adjusting, a lot Mm -hmm. of figuring things out together. And so for instance, in, in the retreat, um, it might work for some couples in leading a retreat to um, both be presenters. Nancy would probably rather be hit by a fast-moving vehicle than be the <laughs> presenter. 
she just doesn't like being on the stage in the limelight. And um, I don't mind it. It's, it's okay with me. But Nancy is the one who, when we have a break, will say, Wally, did you notice that so-and-so seemed kind of worried about something? Because Nancy is so sensitive, so aware, mm-hmm. so tuned in to people. And I'm so excited about the ideas that if if class members uh, moved into a coma, I, I might not notice. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope that's not true, but... But Nancy's the one who's just really tuned in to, yeah. to people and needs. And uh, I love that about her. Mm-hmm. So we express in really different ways our shared commitment to, to uh, well, in this case, share ideas about marriage. Uh, but, but we do have that common purpose, that shared uh, commitment. Mm-hmm. To, to trying to be helpful. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying is like you both brought your strengths to the room and neither one of you, you know, you weren't like, Nancy, you, why, you, why don't you help more? Get up here and help me present, you know, like, and yeah. she wasn't like, Wally, quit talking and just look around the room. Like you weren't at <laughs> each other about it and maybe that's taken years to to really fully embrace your differences in that way. But I just, I love how you've navigated and found the the ways that you each can contribute and and honor who you are as individuals and come together like you said in your shared values and your shared purpose that's so beautiful and such a such a um just a beautiful in- illustration for the rest of us to to kind of model i mean we're all of our relationships are going to be different and it will look different but how we can see how you've how you've kind of done that so i appreciate you sharing that it's really valuable well nancy's a person who's um she's really got a not only a keen mind, but a great heart. So as we talk about a certain subject, she may, she may say during a break, or she may raise her hand and offer a comment that um, we probably ought to mention this. And she's not going to be the person who's going to yell and scream and, and interrupt. But uh, Nancy has a combination of, of quiet insight, but also fearlessness. And I, I love that about her. Now, I, I, for different couples, it'll look very different, won't it? Some may both want to share presenting duties or in, in their navigating life, they mo- may both be right on the front line, but but that may play out differently. And learning how to discover that, learning how to to honor our different strengths without feeling jealous or uh, or protective of our domain, but working together as a team with that shared cause. And the shared cause is about living the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So um, when, when I, when I think about this subject, I think of uh, that great marriage therapist, King Benjamin, you remember that he said, uh, For the natural spouse is an enemy to God. Now I'm taking some liberties here. The natural spouse is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam, will be forever and ever. Now that might seem to be a gloomy beginning. Uh, I see that quite differently. I think he's saying, uh, if things aren't going well, that shouldn't be a big surprise to you. If it's a struggle and you find some bumping and a little bit of friction, 
yeah, that's that's kind of what this life is about. There, there is a lot of that built into the system. But he says, we will be enemies to God unless, unless we yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and put off the natural man or woman and become saints through the atonement of Christ the Lord. So uh, he's describing a process that I think's, think applies to, to relationships, that we recognize that our default wiring in a fallen world is to look after our own interests and to be very, shall we say, egocentric, very, my way is the right way. And and if you want to do what's right, you'll see things and do things the way I do, or at least in support of my way. So mm-hmm. I, I think King Benjamin is giving us an important challenge. Do you agree with that, Emily? I do. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm just thinking about uh, the last kind of the last part of that Mosiah 319 that you're referring to, um, becometh as a child to be submissive, meek, humble, patient. And I know that you've talked about this before on the podcast, but how those um, traits are not often valued again in our culture. In fact, they're all, many people would see them as weaknesses to be meek or humble or to be patient, like, well, don't be a doormat, don't be, you know, and but how they really are strengths, especially in the context of of relationships and even more so in, in marriage. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Um, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't sound like the great American prototype for a hero, does it? Mm-hmm. And and if no. we if we think about Jesus. He practiced what he preached. You know, he was submissive, meek, and humble. He was completely unafraid. When something needed to be said, he said it. But he was also unafraid to be silent in the face of threat. Mm -hmm. He was also willing to stand his ground without becoming becoming violent or contradictory. Uh, I think about the book I'm currently reading called... uh, proclaim peace. Mm. And uh, it's such an interesting read when the world is filled with so much conflict. And uh, that conflict extends from the personal, the interpersonal, the the neighborhood, the societal, and the the international. So much conflict. And and God has always recommended peace, not, excuse me, not weakness, but peace, a willingness to uh, to engage with others in a respectful and caring way. And I, I, th- I think if we go in with a full-fledged American mindset into marriage, we uh, have faulty expectations and faulty processes, and we're probably going to have a lot of frustration and a fair amount of conflict. Yeah. Well, and I love the the one of the things I remember you saying at the retreat right around this time when we were talking about this was was the concept of the true doctrine, true like really understood, like embodied, not just cognitively understood or I read that quote or that scripture and I get it, but like truly embodied, true doctrine really embodied is going to change our attitude and our behavior more than if we're studying about behavior and how to change behavior. That as we embody it and we really learn and understand the gospel, that that's going to just 
seep out into all of our actions and the ways that we're approaching our lives. Thank you for that. Yeah. Boyd K. Packer's challenge Mm -hmm. kind of stands on its head, the usual way of thinking about it. We better study behavior. Why do you do these crazy things? What's wrong with you? Let's figure out the root cause. Maybe it's because your parents were crazy. You know, and that way of thinking about it uh, just gets us, well, I guess fully aware that we're fallen. And so were our parents. But but that doesn't really get us toward a solution. In, in contrast, true doctrine, understood, changes things. It changes our hearts. It changes our actions. If we truly understand Jesus, his doctrine, his way of being, it changes us, and it, uh, and I think it prepares us to be good companions in a relationship. Wally, can I interject some, just something do. that's coming up for me? So, uh, you know, at the beginning of when we first started this podcast, however many years ago, <laughs> I think we recorded actually over a year before we actually posted it. But, but when we started these conversations, I was at the beginning of um, my grad program, my marriage and family therapy program. And I had a lot of ideas about how how that might go and what I might learn. And it's interesting, and I told you this not too long ago, um, that I recently, I'm, as I'm finishing up my program, I'm in, in my last couple of classes, and and one of my assignments, we had this reading, and it's some some of the most recent research from, from the Gottmans, um, but although I think that they've done research that probably showed this much earlier, but I just read this recent research. And they basically said, most marriage therapy has been not effective. And and I'm really looking at, you know, and they pointed out some of the reasons why. And one of them is, is that a lot of marriage therapy is really focused on what isn't working. Um, kind of, and like, you know, Packer uh, talks about that, like this preoccupation of of, of behavior or unworthy behavior just kind of leads to more unworthy behavior. And I'm, I, as I was reading this research, um, that the Gottman's put out, I thought about that. I thought, yeah, I think a lot of, um, you know, work in the marriage and family therapy field has been a preoccupation with maybe it's not necessarily unworthy behavior, but, but the, the behavioral, you know, cycles, and not that we can't look at the cycles or the patterns that aren't working, but when we get really focused on that, when we put the magnifying glass over that, it's just going to create more and more of that. And so I don't know, it's just interesting now as as the field is developing and we're really looking at the research and what actually works, it's so interesting and not surprising how it lines up with the gospel and what we know to be true. Yeah. So yeah. that's been interesting. Beautiful. For me. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have tended to be problem focused. We assume that in order to solve our marital problems, we had to really understand the problem. So I've been quite problem focused. And I just wonder if Jesus' recommendation is really different from that, that we ought to be goodness focused. We ought to fill ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ, fill ourselves with goodness and graciousness, fill ourselves with compassion. And as we do that, we may not we may not solve all of our problems, but we may transcend them. They they just aren't very important when when your focus is on goodness and appreciation, and uh, and of course, resonating with what you said, Emily. I think the research that uh, like John Gottman has done in marriage, the this amazing research, 
agrees perfectly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For for instance, in, in a yet future podcast, we'll talk about that five positives for every negative. But mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Mm-hmm. Keep your mm-hmm. keep your eye, your mind, your heart firmly focused on what's good. Don't allow yourself to be caught into distractions and, and peeves and annoyances, but rather keep yourself focused on goodness. And that's in in his own language, in his own way, that's exactly what what John Gottman found. So we uh, we transcend our problems, our differences, by being swallowed up with Jesus, with having the mind of Christ, and that uh, probably isn't the way we've we've naturally thought about marriage. We've thought, let's identify the problems and deal with them, instead of thinking about how about if we fill ourselves with goodness. And uh, that's what transforms everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, as I'm moving into my clinical work, it, it is really interesting. Again, not that it's bad for a clinician or a therapist to understand the patterns that are you know happening in the marriage, but to focus on that with the couple, the research shows that's actually not effective at all. And so I love, I just love how um, the work that you've done and as you, as you help us kind of weave and show us how the gospel, what we already know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we can really um, see how that weaves together with the with what we're doing in our families. I mean, it is what we're doing in our family. Like that, that is the thing. But but especially as a as a you know coming from a clinical standpoint or a therapist standpoint, it was always there in the scriptures. If we were if we were knew what to look for. <laughs> Isn't if researchers funny? had looked a little sooner, yeah. it, we could have discovered all this a little sooner. But um, oh, anyway, yeah, I, that just yeah. has really, I've been holding that in my mind as I'm, as I'm approaching the work that I'm doing. And, and certainly, you know, as I'm approaching relationships, it's something that I can do even more, that I recognize I can do even more. And I think of so many of the fads about marriage and marriage enrichment over time, so many of those fads that really didn't last could have been challenged right at the beginning by asking the simple question, does this agree with what God has said? Is it, mm-hmm. is if we did a content analysis of, of those recommendations and set them side by side with a content analysis of God's recommendations, God sure talks a lot about getting our hearts right. He talks a lot about loving each other, not, not, uh, not changing each other as much as appreciating each other. And uh, wow. That I think is for me a key that when we when we test an idea by saying, does it match what God's been recommending? And and then if if we're aware of what the research says, then we say, does research show that it actually works in human relationships? And when we uh, put those two ways of thinking about truth together, we can really be more discerning, I think, of of truth. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So what did I'm trying to remember at the retreat? What do we talk about next? <laughs> well, I I know we um, invited people to start thinking about their own mm. story of love, right. but to not try to quickly uh, finalize that. But but our understanding of our love, uh, maybe one of the big surprises is very often. I think God gets us together with the person we marry, and uh, we may not realize all that God had in mind at the beginning. In fact, we're almost sure not to re- to notice all that He 
all that he had in mind. But over time, we may say, wow, my partner is not just an inconvenience. They're a, they're a character developing experience, not in a sense of, of just opposition, but in a sense of balance and complementary growth. And so uh, I, one of the places we concluded, I think, in our first session in the marriage retreat was by, by quoting Lehi with his end of life summary. And, and I think he set up beautifully when he says in Second uh, Nephi chapter 1, verse 15, But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. I think Lehi is there saying, um, this earth life is often hellish, very challenging, frustration, frustrating. You think about his journey in the wilderness and his struggles in his family. But in spite of all that, he beheld God's glory and was encircled by his love. What a great benediction to a faithful life. As he concludes his life, he knows God has done his work. So as we talk more about uh, about marriage, I think we want to look for the hand of God and see how see how what God has recommended um, has been enriched or validated by what science has discovered, and then combine also the just the practical day to day experience to say what do I need to do to have a really strong, loving, enduring relationship? Yeah. I loved one of the things that you said, um, as you talked about, we, we actually solve very few problems in mortality, but we can transcend them. That really jumps out at me because I, I want, I'm a fixer. <laughs> I want to, I want to fix a lot of things. Yeah. It's probably one of the reasons I got into the field I'm in is like, I, I, I want to help people. I mean, that's, it come, I come by it honestly, right? I want to help people. I want to support people. Um, but really what that can translate to is I want to fix people. I have to really watch that. That's, that's, um, you know, that's important for me to, to, to be sure I'm not trying to fix people, but, but this idea of that, like, I'm not here to solve people's problems. I'm here to, to help them have tools in their relationships so that they can transcend the issues that are coming up. And to me, transcend really means it's like just kind of what we've been talking about with, with you and Nancy, you can be so different. And you bring something different to the table. And I'm sorry, we have, I think we have like a life flight above my head. I don't know if you can hear the helicopter. Going. Oh, can no, I can't. Oh, it's really loud. I'm glad wow. you can hear it. It's, it's, I feel like it's 12 feet above my house. <laughs> it's about to land on your house. It's about to land on our house. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I just I just think about how, you know, in my own marriage, how how things that I could get real prickly about. I could be real annoyed and and sometimes I do get annoyed. And then I have to realize, gosh, actually this is a strength that he's bringing to the relationship and it's just different than how I would navigate it. So it's annoying to me. Yes. Um, yes. And I don't know if anyone else, maybe I'm the only one on the planet that <laughs> experiences it that way. But I'm like, gosh, he's he's the engineer in our house and I'm the creative kind of just, you know, yeah. I like to do things a certain way and he likes to do things a certain way. And we don't often have the same idea. Wally, why is that? We, we <laughs> are not often having the same idea about how to approach a situation. And so, um, yeah, that piece of we can transcend it is so hopeful. And also, again, 
puts me in a different mindset of it's not an oppositional, like it's either my way or his way. It's like, how can we both come to this situation and, and have, have like Nancy, who's, who's observing and she's noticing folks and, and how, where they're at emotionally, potentially, you know, maybe they got quiet and maybe she notices that. And then there's Wally that's teaching the class and, and, you know, contributing in a different way. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but that was really something that as, as we were in the retreat, that was really on my mind and it really jumped out at me. So maybe, Emily, we should celebrate our differences rather than begrudge mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should, as David and Vera May said, make creative use of our differences. Mm-hmm. And maybe as we do that, I, I, you're, you're telling that uh, story about your differences reminds me of sometimes I get a really creative idea of something I want to do around the house. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell Nancy about my great new idea and I can see a look of panic in her eyes <laughs> as she assesses what this will cost and how it will impact the universe. And mm-hmm. she, and I think, gee, why isn't she appreciating this brilliant idea? And, and so we have learned, I mean, now after mm-hmm. 50 years of marriage, we finally learned for me to say when I want to explore a crazy idea that isn't fully formed and certainly isn't a, a family mandate, I say, Nancy, would you allow me to share a crazy idea with you? Mm-hmm. And let's just play with it and have fun. And then maybe at the end of the day, we'll put it to bed and forget it. But but can we play with the idea? And so mm-hmm. even then, there's a, a little... the hint of panic arising in her eyes like, oh no, what if all he decides he really wants to do this? You know, mm-hmm. like it's painting a room a crazy color or doing, mm-hmm. you know, I I just have these crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. But but over time, we transcend those because we uh, we love each other and value what the other brings instead of resenting and trying to... Uh, you and I have both seen relationships where one partner frustrated with the other learned how to manage or end run their partner. And uh, I I think we see that fairly often in marriage where one person thinking the other doesn't quite get it, finds ways to to do things their way and keep it a secret or be deceptive or whatever. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not the best way to transcend differences. Um, it doesn't mean we become the same, but it means we do learn to work together. Yeah. Maybe it's that yeah. Zion idea of one heart, one mind, mm-hmm. and uh, that we're united in our commitment to serve God and accomplish his purposes. And that's a very unifying uh, goal or mission. Of course, sometime we ought to talk about what happens when uh, you're not united spiritually, yeah. and and that's uh that's probably another discussion for another day. But yeah, maybe another, if, and oh, sorry, go no, ahead. You, I was going to say ahead. another curiosity I have right now is because you touched on values earlier. I wonder if there's anything that you would suggest. So again, maybe this is we can bookmark this for a, a future episode. But the idea or the concept of um, being united in your values and your purpose. And I wondered if there was anything that you suggest or that you know of in the research um, about helping couples, number one, maybe recognize their values and, and where they 
where they can come together. I mean, that couple you mentioned about the Native American art, they like, I don't know if they stumbled on that or how they, how they found that they both had this kind of passion for that. Um, but I'm just thinking about, okay, what are ways that, that couples can, can do that work for themselves of, of discovering their own values and their strengths and recognizing what the other person brings to the table and how they can come together. Yeah, I think that's, I think that example that uh, Fowers gives is a good one. I, I would say that it takes a, a lot of patience because uh, sometimes we're so full of so many ideas and so many mandates in our soul that we, we aren't very good at really hearing what the mandates are in another person's soul. Like for instance, imagine a couple where they have different levels of commitment to, to the gospel uh, and and it's really easy to be judgmental, but maybe, maybe if we start to have a little curiosity and a lot of appreciation and say, I wonder if my partner struggles a little because she's been hurt by various things or she's very sensitive or um, I don't, I don't have to insist that she see everything the same way I do. I can appreciate that there's a good reason that she feels as she does. And, and as I, as I really get truly interested in understanding what that reason is, I will have compassion and I will have appreciation. And, uh, that's a, an important way to bridge our differences. I love that. Curiosity is, is, um, well, let me just say growing up, a saying I often heard was curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> yes. Curiosity often doesn't feel like a safe thing to explore um, something unknown. And I'm not, I'm not saying anyone specific told me that, but I'm just saying that was kind of like in the air and the idea of mm -hmm. I should just, you know, this is what's been told, you know, that I should do or whatever. And I, and I'll, it's only as an adult that I've recognized that curiosity, I wasn't very curious. I was curious to an extent, but I didn't really allow myself to follow the trails of curiosity, especially in relationships. So I think that's a really valuable skill that we can develop. Um, at least I think it's a skill and I think we can develop curiosity. Um, but when we recognize, you know, when I recognize, gosh, I'm not, I don't allow myself to really wonder about what someone else's which really leads into empathy, but, but, you know, when we allow ourselves to be curious, um, how important that can be for, for a relationship. You know, Emily, in, in, um, social psychology, there's something we call benign attributions. And the way I express that is, uh, people do what they do for reasons that make sense to them. And when what they do does not make sense to us, it's because we don't yet understand, which is where curiosity comes in. Yeah. When, when we find that what our partner or some other person is doing just seems idiotic, what it really means is we have not understood the other person because they do what they do for reasons that make sense to them. And so benign attributions are, are really a way of giving people the benefit of the doubt and uh, sparking our own curiosity. So rather than... Um, Rather than marriage being this castle we move into the first week of marriage, 
I see it as a shared building project that we work over the decades to design and create and even remodel and refine this structure that's, uh, that is our relationship. I love that. And also knowing you and Nancy's uh, history of finding beautiful old homes and uh, restoring them to their original glory is, is kind of fun to think about how you would team up on projects and bring your individual strengths and, and make something really beautiful. I I've gotten to see pictures, so it's really kind of cool to know that history, but that's, we have had fun with, yeah. Yeah. And if we think the same way about, uh, about our marriages, if we say, gee, we've got, we've got 50, 60, 70 years to build something beautiful. So let's patiently think about, what we want that to be like and how we want it to fit into uh, the the neighborhood, shall we say, mm-hmm. how do we want to relate to other people and what's important to us? And so we start that conversation and, uh, and let that relationship we build be an expression of those, um, those fundamental values. Beautiful. I love that. Letting the relationship be an expression of the fundamental values. That's great. So that's kind of where we started the the marriage retreat. And uh, yeah, we hope some people will be interested in tuning in as we talk about other parts of what we discussed. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this continuing conversation. And might I just add, we're, we're looking to potentially do another one in the fall. So if you missed the retreat and you'd like to, to engage, um, we're looking at ways that we can do that hopefully in the fall of 2022. So... Yes. Thought I'd just yes. add that. Put a plug in. Yes. Molly. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, is there anything else as we kind of wrap up today? Um, final thoughts? Um, I guess the the maybe the lingering thought is that as we talk about the work involved in a relationship, it may feel unsettling to some people since they maybe wanted something that was fun and exciting. And I'd say um, God, in His unique way, creates something that is fun and exciting, but also is a long-term building project. Mm. And I, uh, I honor Him for the amazing way He structured relationships to keep us growing, while giving us um, really uh, regular uh, investments of joy and purpose and companionship all along the way. Beautiful. It's perfectly said. Thank you, Wally. This has been so fun, and we'll do it again next week. Great. Thanks, Emily. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Wally on a fresh view of gospel living. 